an accurate description of our relationship with God and our relationship with Satan. Satan, from the very start, hated mankind. And he wanted them in a cage. He wanted to play with them, wanted to, to turn their lives upside down. And the sad reality is that he's been very successful at that through human history since the fall of man in the garden. But that's not God's intention for us. That's not his plan for us. And so this summer, we are declaring the summer of 2013 as the summer of freedom. We are going to break free. We're going to break free. Because Galatians 5.1, the Apostle Paul reminds us in a very strong declaration that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ didn't die on the cross just to create a new religion, just to make some new rules and regulations we got to follow. Jesus died on the cross to set us free, to set us free from Satan's manipulative power, to set us free from life and its, its ugly consequences. He died to set us free from ourselves and from any force that wants to take our life in a destructive direction. But he goes on in this verse, Paul does, to make another declaration. The verse continues and says, Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying is that Christ has set you free. His intention for you is to live a life that is characterized by freedom. Not by slavery to sin or not by compulsive behaviors or he made you free, but we have a choice. We can live in that freedom. We can experience that freedom and the peace and the joy that comes with it. Or we can go back into the cage. It's our choice. Sadly, that's exactly what happens to many believers. We, we trust Christ as our Savior. He sets us free, but for some reason or another, we voluntarily go back into that cage of captivity. We voluntarily re-enslave ourselves to many of life's dysfunctions. See, that's what we're going to break free from this summer. We're going to look at some of the more common life dysfunctions that we re-enslave ourselves to, and then we're going to chart a course out of those so that we can live like Christ wants us to live, like Christ enabled us to live, like he died for us to live free not oppressed, not enslaved, but a life of liberty, a life of peace with him. That doesn't mean all of life goes perfectly. doesn't mean that trials and tribulations won't come. But what it does mean is that they will not enslave us. They will not overcome us because of our freedom in Christ. Now, we're going to look at many different areas this summer in this series. And not every area is going to pertain to you individually. You might say, wow, I'm free from that, and I don't, I don't have to, to suffer with that. And if that's the case on that day and on that theme, then just thank the Lord for it, right? But maybe you know somebody who is enslaved in that area of their life, and maybe you can use what you learn in this series to help them encourage them. Today we're going to start in a very fundamental area. We're going to be breaking free from my garbage and guilt. What is the garbage? The garbage is returning to those sinful things that, that Christ died to free us from. 
that garbage that produces one thing in our lives, guilt and shame and, and a sense of alienation from God. Can you imagine that? We often live with a sense of alienation from the Savior who died on the cross to set us free. And it's because we re-enslave ourselves to many of the same behaviors and the same life journey that we lived in before we trusted Christ as our Savior. Paul, in writing a letter to the believers in Ephesus, encouraged them, and he gave them the Christian goal. And this is our goal as believers. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is how God wants your life to go. He revealed it to Paul. Paul revealed it to the Ephesians and, and ultimately to us. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 22, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And, and number one, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are not supposed to live like the person we were before that happened in our life. We're not supposed to return to those behaviors. We're not supposed to continue in that lifestyle. We need to put that old self off. Why? Because the things that old self we're attracted to are deceitful. They're things that take us in a direction that's unhealthy for us. There are things that, that take us in a direction that is exactly contrary to what God's plan is for us. And they are things that characterize a life of bondage rather than a life of freedom. He says, get rid of that. You've been freed from it. Don't go back in the cage. Well, what do we do instead? Well, it tells us. It said, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. What does that mean? That means to think differently about ourselves. That we're no longer slaves. We're no longer under bondage to Satan. We're no longer failures. We're no longer a people who have to experience one setback after another and live in that guilt and live in that shame. That's not who we are anymore. And we need to rethink about, about what, how we look at ourselves. How should you look at yourselves? As an adopted child of Jesus Christ. You are royalty. You are his children. You're not just members of some new religion. You have been adopted into his family. And he has given you the power to be like him. That's what it says. To put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, it says. You know, God is, is truly righteous. He doesn't just act righteous on Sunday or Easter or Christmas. He is truly righteous. He is truly holy. And that's our goal, is to be like God, truly righteous, truly holy. Not just when we come to church. Not just when, when we're trying to, to impress somebody with our spirituality, but especially in those times when we're all by ourselves and no one's watching and no one's going to see what we do and we can, get, we can get away with whatever we want to do. It's in those times that our Christian character is tested to the max. Now, unfortunately, many believers don't experience this. Some, I said, I would say many, believers, their reality is not that. Their reality is what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 7, verse 18. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I, I can't tell you how many Christians, I, I, I've counseled about this. I can't tell you how, how, how I've struggled with this same thing in my life. How many believers I've sat with who were crying and who were sincere and say, say, Pastor, 
I want to live for God. You don't understand. I have a passion in my heart. My desire is to live for God. But my reality is that I keep backsliding. I keep falling away. I keep doing the things I really don't want to do. I keep getting back into the birdcage. I keep enslaving myself to Satan again. See, that's the experience of many, and that might be your experience today. And when you're living that kind of a Christian journey, the only result that can occur is guilt. You'll feel guilty within yourself. Satan will use those failures and magnify them to make you feel guilty. And what his desire is for your Christian walk is to alienate you from God, to make you feel like God is a million miles away and he's finished with you. You've gone too far this time. So what do we do? If that's our dilemma and that's what characterizes our life right now, what do we do about it? Well, I'm going to give you three quick things. And this isn't a cure-all, but this will get you started on the right road. You ready to go? You ready to break free this morning? Okay, well, a couple of you are. All right, what do we do? First of all, you've got to wake up. You've got to wake up. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6.12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, let me set the context of this. These are some very immature Christians in the city of Corinth that Paul is writing a letter to. Notice that the little phrase, everything is permissible for me, is in quotes. See, what this is revealing, this is revealing twisted thinking in their minds. They're thinking, well, wait a minute, Jesus died to set me free. It's for freedom that Christ set me free. I'm free to do anything I want to do. Everything is permissible for me. And so what they were doing was using the grace that God has brought into our life to rationalize continuing to live in their old behaviors. It goes on to talk about a couple of them, food offered the idols. And they said, well, it's okay. It doesn't mean anything. I don't believe in the idols, so I can eat food offered to idols. Absolutely, there's no prohibitions in Christianity against eating food offered to idols. But maybe that's not beneficial to us and our testimony for Jesus Christ. One of the places they were really using it is in their sexuality because Corinth was a very promiscuous city. And sexuality and free sex, it was, it was as bad or worse than, than it is in our day. And they were saying, no, it's no big deal. It's permissible for me. I'm no longer under the bondage of sin. I'm no longer accountable for my sin. Jesus Christ paid for my sin. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. It's permissible. How often we do that same thing. We rationalize some of our behaviors saying, well, you know, I'm going to heaven. That's a promise. So, it's okay. Yeah, it may be permissible from an eternal standpoint in that it is not going to alter your eternal destiny, but is it really beneficial? Is it beneficial? There's nothing wrong with with believers having a credit card. But is it beneficial to have 15 credit cards? There's nothing wrong with, with, with Christians experiencing vacations and things like that. But where are you going? What are you doing? Is it beneficial for you? And the key is, Has it mastered you? 
See, so many of these behaviors have mastered us. We, we can't seem to break free from them because we really don't believe that we've been made free. And we don't tap into the power that has made us free. And so we get mastered by things that have really no power over us that we don't allow them to have. What's mastering your life right now? What's that thing that, that, that you know is, is out of balance in your life? And, and maybe even sinful in your life. And, and it's got a hold on you. And, and, and that's common with, with all of us, folks. If, you, if that's your, your situation, know that all of us deal with some area in life that has particular influence and power over us. Every one of us. They're different. Yours might be drugs, illegal drugs. Well, you know what? That has no power over me. I've never, ever taken an illegal drug. I've never smoked a joint. I've never, never popped a pill. I've never shot up anything. I've never snorted anything. I've never done anything. I've never been even tempted to. It has no attraction to me whatsoever. And so your, your addiction to me, I, I, I don't even understand it. Why you want to do that? But to you, it's a big problem. But now there's other things that might be an issue for me. You might say, I don't have any interest in that. You, you, you couldn't pay me to do, to do that. You couldn't pay me to think that way. But all of us have something. Now the issue is, has it mastered us? How do we know if it's mastered us? Well, let me ask you, is this something that you've gone back with the Lord over and over and over again? And saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I did it again. God, I did it again. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. God, I did it again. And, and, and now it's reached a place where you don't even feel that God can forgive you anymore. Or maybe you know it's mastered you because you keep taking greater risks to participate in that behavior. You know why? Because most of these behaviors, when they're out of balance, take a greater experience in order to, to feel that, that same zip. You know, the truth about sin is it does have a zip. It does give us momentary pleasure. It, it, oftentimes we, we get into it because it medicates something in us, loneliness or fear or stress. But has it mastered us? See, that's what we're talking about breaking free from. Galatians 4.9, Paul talks about it. He says, but now that you know God, in other words, now, now that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and he's made you free, or he says, more importantly, or rather, you're known by God. Now that you're a member of his family and you've got all this power and the Holy Spirit lives in you, he says, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? He's saying, listen, Christ rescued you out of that misery, out of that guilt, out of that shame. How is it? that you're willingly going back into the cage. Probably most of us at one time or another have been exposed to this definition of insanity. Insanity is doing things the exact same way while expecting different results. Well, nothing changes. We just keep living life the same way we've been living it. We're caught up in, in, in these, these destructive cycles, but we just keep on doing it. That's insanity. Doing the same thing the same way while expecting things are going to turn out different this time. How many people have done that with relationships, huh? How many of us have done that with diets? 
How many of us have done that with credit cards? Finally get them all paid off only to get right back in debt. There's many areas we've done that in. That's insanity. So Paul exhorts us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That's the way the unbelieving world lives. That, those are the things they pursue. Those are the things they enslave themselves to. We're not to conform ourselves to that pattern anymore. What do we need to do? We need to wake up. We need to understand that's not God's design. That's not going to give us liberty. That's going to take us back and enslave us. That's going to make us miserable. That's going to cause us to deal with guilt and shame and all that baggage and all that garbage that, that we were dealing with before Jesus Christ came into our life. We need to wake up and say, I'm not going the right way. I need to make a change. Then we need to fess up. We need to fess up. Now, while we're waking up, we need to fess up first to ourselves. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, very articulately and, and very truly said this about us and our relationship with the things we shouldn't be doing. It said in James uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Let, let me stop there and just make this point, because we, we got to wake up. Listen, when you are tempted to do something that either the Holy Spirit in you is saying, don't do it, 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 you know what I'm talking about. Or God's word has clearly revealed it's wrong to do, and it's harmful to do, don't do that. And God's word is very open about many things like that. And when we are tempted to do those things, understand this, God's, that's not a test from God. God's not dangling that, that behavior. God's not dangling that sin in front of you, seeing how you're going to react, whether you react positive or negative this time. God will never, ever, never do that to you. Why? He is absolutely incapable of doing that because God is incapable of having any kind of relationship or fellowship with sinfulness. It's not him doing it. And so when, when you get tempted... Don't be, oh, God, well, why are you doing this, God? You know I'm weak, and you, God, you know this area is hard for me, and this is the area that... Don't be saying that, because it's not true. Now, we ultimately then default to Satan. Well, it's Satan, and Satan, he's nasty, and he, he wants to bring me down. Here he is again. He's tempting me. Well, maybe. But you know what James says? Look what he says. Most of the time, it's our twisted thinking. It's our twisted desires that are taking us back there. He says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. See, what happens is when we, we think we can dabble in these sinful behaviors and, and then at any time we want, we can just put them in a bag and, and store them away and never deal with them again. But the truth of the matter is every time we yield to a temptation, we create a, a video in our minds. And again, momentarily it gave us some kind of zipper. We would have never done it. If sin is running a marathon every day, trust me, I would be sinless. But sin has an attraction, doesn't it? Maybe in our loneliness, maybe in our stress, it helps us for that moment to feel alive and to feel some kind of, a, of an electricity. But the problem is that sin is a liar. And although it gives that very temporary kind of, boost what happens after it 
especially in the believers. Then the guilt sets in. Then the shame sets in. Then the sense of alienation from God sets in. And we get in that very destructive cycle again of captivity. So number one, I need to fess up with myself and say that, you know what? More often than not, when I get in these situations, it's my fault. I'm revisiting. I'm replaying those tapes, so I'm opening up myself to temptation again. I'm hanging out. I'm driving by where I know I shouldn't be driving by. I'm going with friends to someplace I know I ought not to be going to. I am opening up my life. I am opening up my world to that stimuli that I know is destructive to me. Now, something that's very helpful when we're dealing with a lot of these these very seem-like consuming dysfunctional issues in life is we need to confess them to somebody else, another believer. Or maybe even get into a a group of believers. Like, we have some groups like that here at Florida Bible. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Why? Because he goes on to say, because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Typically, when we're struggling with some kind of inappropriate behavior or compulsive life uh, challenge or or lifestyle issue, typically what we do is we live that in, in absolute secrecy. In fact, we don't want, especially as Christians, we don't want any Christian to think we're dealing with anything. We want everybody to think we're okay and we got it wrapped together and and we're living in the freedom of Christ and and, and we're just happy in the Lord. But the truth of the matter is we're we're re-enslaved. We've gotten back in the cage. But we're too embarrassed or too ashamed to share that with anybody. In addition to that, we often embrace a false expectation that if we share this area of our life with someone else, then that believer is going to fall back in revulsion of us and say, oh, you're disgusting. Oh, I can't believe that. And so we live in secrecy. We live in isolation. That's exactly where Satan wants us to live. Because it's the secret things of our life that have the most power over us. Once those things have been confessed, once they've been revealed, and once we, we get a support network around us, They're not as powerful because when it comes, we can pick up the phone and we can call one of those people and say, listen, I need you to pray with me right now. I need you to talk me through this so I don't fall back into this. And my experience has been that believers, true believers, are the most accepting people in the world of each other. And they understand that we're all dealing with it. And you know, you might even, by confessing something going on in your life, help somebody else to get healed because now that you've been honest with them, they go, you know what? I sure will. I'm going to pray with you about that. And you can call me anytime. Here's my cell number. And they might say, listen, while we're talking about this, I've got an issue too. And I can really use your help. See, that's why the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because it's God's intention that we face life together, not apart, not by ourselves. We're going to get creamed if we try to take it on by ourselves. But together praying for each other and encouraging each other and getting real and honest with each other helps us not to re-enslave ourselves. Of course, we need to fess up with God. I mean, you say, well, we should have started there. Yeah, but oftentimes we don't. Why? Because we feel alienated from him. But it says in Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all our trouble. He said, but yeah, but it says the righteous cry out. I'm not living real righteously right now. Listen, righteousness is not about our behavior. It's about our position. 
And we have been made righteous in Jesus Christ in our relationship with him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made him who, ha- who had no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Positionally, we are righteous, whether or not we are living righteously. And so the bottom line is this, is that when we cry out to God, he hears us. What Satan wants you to believe, and what often you convince yourself of, is that you've gone too far this time. I, I, I've gone to God before, and I've confessed this thing, and I've got back in the birdcage so many times. Pete, you couldn't even imagine how many times I've revisited this thing. And God has to be absolutely disgusted with me, and, and, and he might have, have more mercy for somebody else, but not me. You just don't understand how far I've taken this thing. Well, what the Bible declares over and over again is that's stinking thinking, and it's not true of God. Why? Because God's love is relentless. It's never-ending. Will there be consequences of, of continued sin? Absolutely. God will allow consequences to come in our life to draw us back to him, not to push us away from him. But we need to fess up. And when we do, what's God going to do? God, who is the truly loving Father, will come And he'll get active in our life again. And he can take us from the most horrible places back to the most peaceful and joyful places. Finally, we got to shape up. we got to do something. Remember that definition of insanity? It's doing things the exact same way, expecting different results. we got to shape up. we got to do some things differently. To break this cycle, to to experience the freedom that Christ died to set us free to experience. Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, since we're all in this together, and all of us are same, and all of us are struggling with different issues in life, and it says, therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let me ask you a very personal question right now, and, and answer it within your heart. Don't answer it out loud. What right now is hindering your relationship with God? What is in the way of you feeling at peace with God? What is hindering you from living that life of freedom, of putting on the new self and getting rid of the old self? What's in the way in your life? What's causing you to to have lost your peace and lost your confidence in your relationship with Christ? See, we need to get rid of that stuff. We need to shape up. We need to wake up. We need to fess up. And we need to get rid of that stuff in our life. And it says, and the sin that so easily entangles. What is that sin or those sins that are particularly powerful in your life? See, they get us all entangled again in all this that we're talking about. And they complicate our lives, don't they? Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern in this world. We talked about that. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the first thing you need to do is shape up your mind. you got to renew your mind. you got to guard your mind. What are you allowing your mind to be influenced by? What are you thinking about? What are you putting into your mind? Our minds are like computers. If we put in impure things, impure thoughts, impure fantasies, guess what's going to come out? Impure behavior. We need to renew our minds. We need to remember who we are, who Christ has made us. We need to, to renew our minds and know that God is not against us, that he's for us. We need to renew our minds and say, 
I'm going to protect what goes into this mind because what goes into this mind is going to play out in my behavior. We need to guard our minds. We need to guard our bodies. This is so important. Romans 6.13 says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. It says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. What does that mean? Literally, it means our body parts. Don't offer your eyes as instruments of sin. What are you looking at? What movies are you going to see? And what do those movies provoke in you? What sites are you visiting on the internet? And what do those sites provoke in you? What kind of material are you reading? Are you filling your minds with all these, what are they, Harlequin romance models that just fill our minds with infidelity and and sexuality and and all that kind of stuff? Well, then what do you think you're going to be struggling with in your marriage, in your relationships? What are we allowing these eyes to look at? It says we need to use these eyes as instruments of righteousness, not wickedness. How about the ears? What are we allowing these ears to hear? At work, are we allowing them to to be part of the dirty joke pool and and all this foul language and all this kind of stuff and and we we, we expose and we don't take a stand there? Well, guess what's going to impact us? How how about gossip? Ooh, we love to hear the story about about so-and-so and and -and so-and-so because we don't really like so-and-so and we're looking for any chink in their armor that we can celebrate. What are we using our ears for? What are we allowing ourselves to hear? It says we should use our ears as instruments of righteousness. How about our hands? What are we allowing our hands to do? Where are we allowing our feet and our legs to take us? See, if we continue to offer those things to the desires of our bodies, to the desires of our lusts, to, to, to the world and the places they want us to go and the things they want us to experience, then what do you think is going to happen? What's the definition of insanity again? Doing the exact same thing the exact same way and expecting a different result. It's not going to happen. You've got to shape up. You've got to take action to break that bondage. You need to guard your relationships. This is another huge part of breaking free. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Who you hang out with, who you allow to be in your circle of life and influence is going to play a huge part in how you live, in behaviors that you embrace or reject. Let me ask you a question. Who's been helping you store up the garbage in your life? Who is an enabler of those things that are keeping you captive and producing guilt in your life? Most of us have somebody like that who potentially will pull us back instead of encourage us forward. 
Who are those people? And, and maybe we need to have a come to Jesus meeting with those people. And we need to tell them, listen, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going there anymore. I'm not going to act like that anymore. I'm not going to encourage you in that behavior anymore. We're not going to do that together if we're going to remain friends. And if they don't want to do that, then maybe you need to find some new friends because don't be misled about it. Bad company corrupts good character. And as a believer, you need to stay focused. Stay focused on what? On God's plan for your life. Hebrews 12, 1 says, And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out from us. Listen, you are important to God. You are not a mistake. You are not a, some kind of a mutant being. You are important to God. He created you to be like you are, who you are with the talents and the natural life interests and, and with the spiritual gifts that you have. He has an amazing plan for you. God's passion for your life, now that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, is to get you ready for eternity, to get you ready to, to receive all the different rewards that he wants to lavish upon you. And that's what the Bible says, not just give us a trinket here or not, give us a piece of bling and to make us happy. He wants to lavish Eternal rewards on us, eternal opportunities on us, eternal responsibilities on us. And he's got a race that every one of us need to run. It's our own individual race. My race is not your race. Your race is not my race. Your spouse's race isn't your race. Your kid's race is different than yours. God has a race for us all. He says, run with perseverance. Keep your eyes focused on the finish line. Know that life is preparation for eternity. And know that you are intended to live a life of freedom. You are intended to live a life that is characterized by, by joy and the peace of God, even in difficult circumstances. What's your eye on right now? What are you racing towards right now? Are you on track? Are you running God's race for your life? Or have you allowed somebody or something to knock you off the path? Listen, God's intent for you today and God's message for any of you here today who are dealing with garbage and guilt, he wants to remind you, that he has set you free from that. And you don't have to live like that anymore. And God will empower you. God will enable you to live a different life. You got to wake up. You got to fess up. You got to shape up. What's Paul's declaration to us again? Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Say it this way. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. Say that. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. Say it again. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. Now say, I will not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Say it with me. I will not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Say it again. I will not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Listen, that's your reality. That's your promise. That's your opportunity. That's God's plan for your life. Let's bow our heads. Oh, God loves you so much. And if you're struggling in this area, God doesn't hate you. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not teetering on the edge of disowning you. The exact opposite. 
He is waiting for you to turn your heart back to him. If you need to fess up to him, then fess up to him right now. First John says it. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. Right now, reclaim the freedom that Jesus died to give you. Right now, wake up and admit to yourself that the way you're living life right now isn't productive. It's not positive. It's not taking you where you need to be going. And it's certainly not taking you where Christ wants you to be. Wake up. Stop living a life of insanity, of doing the same thing the same way and expecting somehow this time it's going to turn out differently. No, it's not. Wake up. Fess up. Shape up. Be determined this morning through the power that Christ will give you that you're going to do different things. You're going to live differently. You're going to guard your mind. You're going to guard your body. You're going to guard your relationship. And you're not going to lose sight of the prize that waits for you in heaven one day. Now, everything that I have shared this morning, I've particularly shared with believers, people who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But any person, any man, any woman's relationship with God starts, the journey starts when he or she puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Listen, there's no other way to God but through Jesus Christ. You're never going to live a good enough life to earn your way to heaven. The Bible emphatically declares that. And if you you doubt that and you you think I'm misleading you, see me after the service and I'll show you in the Bible. The only way, Jesus himself said it, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. Now, now, you're in church, so either you just came to get someone off your back or you're, you're here because somewhere in you, you believe that this life isn't it and there's some place we're going after this. But maybe you've never made peace with God. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And right now, you sense that you need to do that right now. We won't embarrass you anyway, but if that's you and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity. I won't embarrass you, but just so I can pray, for you anonymously, would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor Pete, that's me. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. But I feel God's Spirit dealing with me, and I know I need to. Father, from the testimony here this morning, we have all trusted Christ as our Savior, and that doesn't surprise me, being a summer month when so many people are on vacation and the unchurched aren't as likely to come to church. But Father, maybe there is someone here who knew they should have raised their hand, but they just didn't have the courage. God, help them to understand that your love and your offer of eternal forgiveness extends beyond this service. And they can come up to me or someone at the, at the uh, guest services booth or someone at one of the doors, and Lord, we'll get them in a very private place and show them how they can leave this campus eternally changed. Father, my prayer now shifts for those who this particular theme resonated with today. For a man or a woman here who's been struggling with some besetting sin, some issue in his or her life that is keeping them in bondage and resulting in their feeling of alienation towards you and guilt and shame. Lord, I pray that this 
day will be the beginning of breaking free from that. The beginning of them claiming what you have offered them and Jesus, what you died on the cross to ensure them. Lord, I pray for them that you'll heal their spirit right now. Lord, that you'll close that wound and that you will fill their entire being with hope right now and with your presence in a way that, that is loving and supportive and forgiving and merciful for your love is unrelenting. Lord, use us for your glory. Help us to break free. That's what you died to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you break free this morning. And, and I hope you'll come back each week and invite some folks to come with you because we're going to be looking at so many areas that we need to break free from. And one of those areas or two of those areas is going to visit you personally. Maybe today's has, and it's just the starting place. Our ushers are going to come, and we're going to ask you to, to give a gift to the Lord at this time. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to really be faithful to continue to give in the summertime. This is typically the time, and this is specifically the month, that for some reason we, we just check out. We go on vacation, even if we're here. Let's be faithful to the Lord because we need to continue to do the work of the Lord all summer. Our kids just got back from youth camp this week. Pastor John took about 66 up there. We had one team trust Christ as Savior. said we had about 40 other decisions for Christ. Amazing things are happening here. And that can only happen as you support with your financial resources and your time and your energy and your participation, the ministries of this church. Father, use this offering now for your glory and your honor. Lord, touch our hearts to give sacrificially. In Jesus' name, amen.